Welcome to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce with Cindy Stibbard. Cindy is ready to have those candid and unfiltered conversations so you know how to move forward in your marriage. You'll hear inspiring and insightful discussions surrounding this taboo subject to help you feel confident in your decision. Now, here's your host, Cindy Stibbard. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Divorce Redefined. I want to wish you a happy new year. I know that it's February and I have been rather quiet here on the podcast, but I did sort of enter this new year a little bit quieter, a little bit more into myself this past Christmas, as I'm sure you all can imagine, was a tough one. So I really kind of took a step back for a bit reassessed myself. I did a move. I moved closer to my kids where they go to school. And I just, you know, had to take some time for myself. But here I am and I am back and excited to be with you once again every week producing an episode and bringing you guests that I know I am so confident that you are going to connect with. So everyone that I get to meet along the way is such a gift. People come to me here and there through experiences that I've had or through connections or just reach out. And so many people that I get to bring to you have such an amazing background and story to share and skill to bring you that really is to up yourself in this game of life. And today I'm really excited to talk about EMDR therapy, which I had never heard about myself prior to Mike passing away, in fact. And when he died, I literally tried absolutely everything. I was so desperate to deal with my pain and my trauma that at one point I was seeing three therapists at once. And one of them was treating me through this EMDR method for trauma. And I'm telling you that it literally changed my life in terms of how I was able to process the grief that I was going through all the, or the trauma that I was processing. And it has really become something that I'm so curious about sharing with other people because of the way that it can work on all different kinds of levels. So today, my guest is Kara Kalin, and she is a registered clinical counselor. She is an EMDR certified therapist. She works with, with coaches. She was working with Team Canada coaching for a while. I don't know if she still is. Are you still? <laughs> To bring her or to bring athletes EMDR therapy in the the realm of sports, which can be so incredibly interesting. So I'm excited to share her expertise with you. And if you are struggling with trauma, or even if you want to know, you know, how do I define if I've even struggled with trauma at all? Sometimes we look back at our lives and we don't realize that there are different kinds of trauma. It doesn't have to be something massive that occurs to us, but there's lots of other things in life that can be considered as trauma as well. So I'm excited to get into this episode with you. One more thing I wanted to mention, if you have not heard already, is I am running a free seven-day relationship clarity challenge that launches next Monday, February 12th. So this is seven days of when I'm going to help you get a lot more clear on the direction that your relationship may go. Now, so many of you I know are in this place of confusion about your relationship. Sometimes you're on the fence. Sometimes you don't know what to do. And you're wondering, you know, has my relationship truly run its course? Or is it possible 
that I can breathe life back into it. Well, that's what this challenge is all about. This challenge is for those of you who have been contemplating or thinking about divorce at all and wondering, you know, is this as good as it gets or should I stay or should I go? So head on over to my Instagram at cindy.stibbard, sign up for the free challenge, and I'm excited to see you there. Now let's not waste any more time, and I want to welcome Kara to the show. Thank you. It's such an honor uh, to be speaking with you. And I just wanted to also say to um, hear your message about sharing EMDR. You know, so many people uh, don't always feel or have the courage to, to share their journey in that. And so I feel privileged to be in the conversation with you where you have the bravery to um, put that out to the world as something that is uh, has been helpful for you. So I just wanted to to say that first. Yeah. Well, thank you. And thank you for connecting with me so that we can do this and bring yeah. two people together. Uh, and I think this is a great place where to start. You know, let's talk about trauma. Let's talk about debunking it. Let's help people understand what trauma is. Because, you know, immediately, sometimes you think of trauma, my mind goes to death my mind goes to some accident, my mind goes to something major, but that's only one kind of trauma, that's, right? That's right. And, you know, it's such a, it's such an interesting word. And I have spent so much time actually trying to figure out how I might uh, get people to understand it in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. So the traumas that you were talking about are considered big T traumas. And most people think about that. So you know, for me in my journey of of growing up in a in a in a in a home where you know we were involved in sport and there was no physical need unmet. You know, mm-hmm. there was this really great sort of um, experience coming through life. And when I started to to when I did my master's degree and we learned about trauma, I was like, oh, that's a scary thing. Like I can never do that. You know, like literally the first time we ever took a class, I was like, I can never work in trauma. That's terrifying. Like, don't sign me up for that. And it wasn't until more and more people started coming into my private practice that I started to realize like every person that walked through the door had experienced some kind of trauma. It just looked different. And so I was like, well, if I don't figure out how to work with trauma and figure out what I can do to help people who have experienced trauma, then I'm really doing a disservice to the people who show up with me. And, you know, the the quote by Gabor Mate is one that has always really stuck with me because when he said, that children aren't traumatized because they're hurt children, but they're traumatized when they're alone with their hurt. When I heard that, it made me completely stop in my tracks and go, well, then what does that mean? Mm. You know? And then, so it was like understanding and learning about like, oh, when your emotional needs are not met, that can be trauma. And it's basically any kind of moment that our body feels stress or dysregulation, and especially as a child. And, you know, if we go back into our childhood, that if we were alone to cope with those moments, that could have been traumatic. Right. And so lots of people have experiences of that because we have grown up like generation after generation of 
you know, this kind of mentality of, of suck it up or, you know, you're okay, or, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps or, you know, these kinds of expressions. And so along the way, you get really good at convincing yourself you're okay. Yeah. Right. That stoic nature. I mean, I think my, my teenager has it now too. I'm good, mom. I'm fine. I'll be, I'll be good. I'm like, you have, you haven't shown emotion at all. I'm a little bit worried about you, you know, but I think let's, let's really look closer at how to identify what that looks like for people. Cause I think that, you know, these ways that these lack of, or I'm not going to say lack of emotions, but the ways that we can almost abandon our children with their own emotions mm-hmm. and having to deal with it can happen in, lo- in a variety of different ways that we even as parents may not realize are happening. So what are some like examples that happen in everyday life for these kid for kids? And even looking at, you know, I even look at my childhood, for example, I think that my parents weren't there for me emotionally, even though I thought they were because they're really nice and loving people. But when it came down to really hard things, no one wanted to talk about it. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that it shows up in a lot of scenarios where there's an avoidance or a fear of feeling something. So for lots of people, when they come in, especially when they're talking about their children, you know, we'll hear things like, oh, well, my child's just overly emotional or my child's just dramatic. Or my Mm. child is, you know, and and what they're saying is my child has big feelings and I actually become dysregulated in the presence of their feelings because no one taught me how to be with those feelings. And so like, ah, that feels bad. Back up, back up, back up. Right. And so this is, you know, this is something that I experience a lot with, with one of my, with one of my children. And it's, it's been a really interesting journey because he has been, you know, I feel like put in my life to teach me how to be in those moments, right? And so oftentimes people want to say something to make people feel better. And so you and I, when we kind of chatted a little bit last week, it was like people often feel paralyzed if they don't have the right thing to say. Mm-hmm. So what they will do is say nothing at all. You know, or they'll try and go, oh, hey, you want to watch a show or, you know, on a playground example, if a child's crying, oh, do you need a snack? Would you like a snack? Yeah, let's immediately put some food on those tears, you know? Right? Yeah. (laughs) Or it's just like, get up, get up, get up. You're okay. You're okay. But what happens over time is that every time, you know, if we're, if we're talking about children, you know, moving through life, it's every time you're told um, that you're, what you're feeling is not valid your internal compass of being able to um, understand what is actually happening for you, it gets negated. And so every time somebody is telling you something, then eventually you learn to not trust yourself. Yeah. Right. And then, I mean, as a child, you're not, you're not controlling these emotions that are happening to you. They're flooding to you. You're feeling them. They're a totally organic experience. And I think you're totally right. We have to let our children feel these organic feelings and sit with them with it, you know, as they're going through it. I think so many of us parents, we immediately get embarrassed. I mean, I remember times when my son would be losing it somewhere and I'd be like, oh my God, pull it together. We're leaving. (laughs) You know? And it was before I really understood. And it would just be testing my last, you know, my every last bit of patience that I have. But before I really understood you know, how important those emotions are and how it is so important for their development. And 
we as parents, you're right. We don't know how, even as adults, we don't know how to be with uncomfortable emotions. And I really experienced that quite a bit when Mike died because there were a lot of people, yes, who were who had reached out to provide comfort, to see how I was. But then there is a whole other grouping of people who literally ignore that it ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> Won't have not, has not mentioned it, doesn't say a word, even though I've seen them, you know, in life and even in my regular day to day. And it's just this level of uncomfortableness of, I don't know how to hold space for your yes. feelings, or maybe this fear of, if I say something, maybe she'll get upset. Yes. Maybe she'll cry. I don't want to make her upset, but I also don't want to see her upset or make that will make me upset. Like there's so many layers to trying to navigate feelings. And you know, every human that comes into my space before we even get to the trauma it's can this human in front of me access and sit with the emotional experiences that are about to happen? And for most people, the answer is no. Mm. So this is why for me over time, it was like, yeah, I've got this, this thing called EMDR and I can help with the reprocessing of this trauma. But actually, we have to go many steps you know, earlier to can you sit in an experience of feeling sadness? Will you allow your nervous system to get to that place? Will you allow yourself to be angry? Because these are the things is that as children, we're conditioned on how we're supposed to feel. And for most people, if you're not happy, like happy is like great. But right. if you're not happy, anything that's not happy is bad. Right. Right. And then so when you're always kind of sitting in this feeling of like, well, there's something wrong with me. This is so common. So many people go, there's something wrong with me that I feel this way. Mm. And I'm like, I always, I always say to people like, well, what about that is wrong? Right. Like this is the experience you're having and it feels bad. That feels right to me, you know, like, yeah. but it's a belief, right? So these internalized beliefs that we sort of develop along the way. And one of my favorite things to ask people is like, whose voice is that? You know, uh, right. Whose voice is that? We don't come out of the womb with these ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, we accumulate them along the way. So whether they're with our parents, whether they're with our teachers, whether they're with our coaches, whether they're with our friends and their family systems, we start to absorb all of these kind of things and these things don't have to necessarily happen to us. This is the other thing about trauma is that, you know, people always say, you know, like, I didn't grow up with that bad thing or that bad thing. So my life's not that bad. Right. People will compare a lot. Right. And so what that does, though, is it we, we call it like minimizing. We minimize the hard stuff that has happened in our life because it's not as bad as being in a war zone. Well, that might be true. and you still suffered in those moments, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And where there's suffering is, is, is stress. And for some people it's trauma. And so, you know, that's what I try and help people to see is just like peeling back these pieces is that they don't have to be these major catastrophic things. And the research actually shows that Small T traumas experienced over a long period of time actually have a greater impact on your mental health than experiencing big T traumas. 
Wow. I love that you just brought that up because I wanted us to go into what are some examples? Like what's it, what's small T trauma? What's big T trauma? What do those look like? Yeah. So a small T trauma is, you know, um, when people talk about being bullied or you being made fun of, or, um, you know, maybe you fell off a bike, right? And so lots of times people say, oh, like I fell off my bike, it wasn't that bad, but it was actually a small physical trauma. Your body has a memory of what happened when you hit the ground, right? And so even though it was kind of brushed off as no big deal, when when I reprocess sport traumas with people, so many people think it's like the concussion that's creating the trauma. And I'm telling you, it's never usually the concussion or the big thing that's happened. It's usually comes back down to an early childhood vaccine. Sometimes when, you know, we've been held against our will, which this is a, this is a wild one, right? Because we all know when we vaccinated our kids, when they're little, you have to hold their arms because otherwise, you know, they're going to knock the the needle away. But, but that's a trauma that lots of young athletes that I've like their bodies hold it since five years old, right? Sometimes it's like, oh, I remember I hit my head when I was playing hide and seek with my brother and I got knocked out. It wasn't really a big deal, but that memory comes back as the first stored one. So this is the most interesting thing about EMDR for me Mm -hmm. is that there are these golden pearls of wisdom that get stored in the back of our brain. And we have no idea that they are leading the march. We have no idea. And so until we can go back to those sort of earlier moments, right? It it can even just be things like, you know, a teacher made you read in front of the class and that was so terrifying, your body holds it. Right. Oh my gosh, there's so many examples. Like like your parents leaving you for two months to go on vacation alone with your sister or, (laughs) excuse me. Or just, you know, having these these small ways of being treated by someone. I remember my math teacher told me I was never going to to pass math yes. in high school. And I literally like still have this fear of math yeah. because of that. It's just all these these small these small things. And I see them a lot in relationships too, showing up time yes. and time again of someone how they've been traumatized a variety of ways from betrayal, from narcissistic abuse from any type of verbal or emotional abuse. You know, these are all trauma situations that doesn't necessarily mean a death or a car crash or any of those big things, but they're, like you said, an accumulation of all these small bits of trauma. And so then let's go into that EMDR. And so what is that? And why is that specific? I mean, for trauma, I guess it doesn't have to be, um, but what does it do for trauma and why is it different than just, you know, go to your therapist and talk out these traumas? Yeah. Well, just hold on, because as you were just saying that last thing, I heard this, I heard like, I need to just clarify one thing. Cause I feel like if people are hearing us talk about all these, they're going to think, Oh my gosh, like I'm, my children are all. And so all one up. of the things, one of the <laughs> things I just want to say before we move into this, because sometimes this, like, this is the moment when people are like, Oh my gosh, I'm screwing up my kids and they tune out. So I want to just come back in for a second. And these moments can be traumatic if, they're not, they're not met with empathy and compassion. Okay. Okay. So if we fell off our bike and a a loving person came to us and said, Oh my gosh, like, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah. Right. Asking the question, 
to the child. And then the child cries and says, no, no, no. And, and then you might just say, you know, yeah, that must have been really scary for you that you fell off your bike. You know, what can I do to help you? And lots of times when kids are dysregulated, they just need you to hold space. There's no actually talking because, and this is the, the part that will lead us into the EMDR, but the brain, when it gets into that dysregulated state of a hyperarousal or a hypoarousal, the blood from the prefrontal cortex moves back. It goes offline. And so there's no rational thinking or decision-making that can happen there. So you have to kind of wait till the storm hands out, you know, so you got to wait till the crying stops. You got to wait till all those things. So I just kind of wanted to offer that, that there's lots of moments when these things are happening and that if a human, not just a child, but if another human is met with this, what you talked earlier about, like just holding space and providing love and, and just staying in the, staying in that uncomfortable, like the someone's hurt moment, yeah. That actually helps children to build resiliency in those moments. So I just wanted to say that because, you know, this is the thing that people start tuning out. They're like, oh, I, I've totally screwed up my children now. And so while well, they're screwed up, so why bother? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm so glad that you, that you brought that back because it is so true. I mean, there's all these small traumas that we actually can't prevent, you know, yes. we're not going to be able to prevent your child falling no. off their bike or all of these things, but it's just about how we meet them there when yes. these happen. Yes. Okay. Lovely. Okay. So EMDR stands for eye movement, desensitization, and reprocessing. And what we know is that when we experience a trauma or a stressful event, that can get stored in the right hemisphere of our brain. Okay. And the, the right hemisphere of the brain, what will happen is that the, when we sleep at nighttime our, and, our, and we're asleep, our eyes move from left to right. And so our brain has the ability to process the day's event naturally on its own. Mm. But when there's stress or trauma that gets stuck, what happens is it gets stuck over here and it'll create looping. Okay. And the looping will keep happening until it gets help reprocessing it. So the eye movement, what it does is it helps to light up the memory network on the right side and it brings it to the left side of the brain, which is the side of the brain that helps us make sense of things. So lots of times I, I say to clients, it's like imagining when you're, you know, you have like a Christmas, Christmas lights or something. There's that one bulb that doesn't quite work and you finally like get the replacement and then they all kind of come on. It's like that you're plugging in the light for memories that have been stuck that didn't have that. So if you think about, you know, for adults, we're talking about, you know, people who are in phases of their life where they're contemplating divorce, like there's going to be things from the past that are going to possibly be, you know, built into internalized belief systems, conditions, there might be shame, there might be guilt, there might be anxiety. And the truth is that those are most likely going to be layered onto earlier life things. Mm, okay. okay. And so, you know, this was, this was the, the moment for me where growing up in a very kind of in a sport world where there was so much emotional repression and the better you got at it, the more liked you were, the more pats on the back you got. And the more you did that and the more like I started to, you know, kind of be in that world of, of repressed. It sounds so crazy to say out loud, but the better I got at it, the, the more likable I was really. Cause yes. they were like, man, that girl, she can do everything and look at this thing and look at that thing. So then you kind of feel like you're, 
you're kind of always trying to one up yourself. And it wasn't until I got trained in EMDR. So let me just pause for a moment. When I was 18, that was the very first time I had done EMDR because my dad had passed away from cancer. Mm -hmm. And I had had a person at the time say, hey, you should try this thing called EMDR. Mm -hmm. And it changed my life at that moment. So it was always something that I had done throughout my life at different points. But I would just go in and reprocess the thing, the event, like the, the, the passing or any kind of stressful moment. And so it wasn't until I did the training where we had to show up and practice with our partner. And I went in asking the most simple question. And it took me back to a 12-year-old sport trauma that I experienced. And it was in that moment of, of seeing that 12-year-old trauma where I saw the seed for me, which was um, not good enough. Like the seed that was planted for not good enough was at 12 years old. And then I saw all the layers that came on that over the years. It blew my mind. It completely, like my whole life of being in the world was just, it was changed because I I started to see how that one thing basically propelled me into the world in that kind of way. So I was kind of found myself in moments later where I was like, oh, I continue to stay in very toxic environments because I was trying to prove myself to everybody. But it was because of that not good enough trauma that was fueling that desire. Right. You You still had that core wound in you that needed so much to be reprogrammed from your subconscious. Yes. And every decision I made and everything that I, everything that I tried to achieve after that was to do that. So it was, that was a life-changing moment for me. And when that happened and I kind of went on my own journey of like, who am I then? (laughs) Like, who am I without this wound? You know, once that got reprocessed, then I was like, man, who am I in the world then? And how do I go in the world without this need for external validation and without a need to prove like, what does that look like? And so my, you know, my life changed, but it changed for the better Mm. because when people talk about how do I feel embodied in the decisions that I make, how do I feel really good about that? How do I set boundaries? How do I, you know, maybe see that this is not this, you know, relationship doesn't serve me anymore. Well, we can't really, get there to our fullest degree until we can embody the decision in Mm. its fullest kind of way and then go, let's go, you know? And so how, like, how does EMDR really work to get that out? Because I've done it before. And like you, when, when Mike died, I had a girlfriend say, you need to do this EMDR therapy. It's going to be amazing. And I literally got on zoom with this therapist And we didn't really talk. Initially, we'd spoken. Then, of course, I would just break down. And then she would start to use her fingers and have me track her fingers with my eyes. And this was something completely foreign to me. I'd never experienced this. And quite honestly, at the beginning, I was like, what is this? I'm paying all this (laughs) money for you just to like get me to track with my eyes. Like, I want to talk about this. But the feeling that it gave me was like nothing else. I felt my whole body just calm right down into this centered place of 
where I could breathe, where I could think yes. clearly. And then she would kind of use this eye movement to reset. And then we would go back into something else. And when I'd be heightened, then she'd do the, the eye movement technique again. And I was so fascinated that something so simple, it yeah. seems so simple, you know, would take you right to this more grounded place. So how does that even work? <laughs> you know? Well, so how the, how the protocol is laid out is that when you actually are ready to begin the EMDR process, that, that phase that you're talking about, we call desensitization. So you're desensitizing the memory like, you know, what happens and, and we don't usually ask people to, you know, share the whole story because this is how talk therapy can be really tricky with trauma is that if you talk the story, you'll actually can re-traumatize yourself. Your nervous system can get flooded. Right. And so by using eye movement with fingers tracking, you can do it by a, with a butterfly hug. You can also do it with audio listening. And what it does is it brings your eyes moving from left to right. Okay. So in that phase, what it's doing is desensitizing the image that you have with the, the traumatic experience, right? So if we're going to use the falling off our bike example, you know, the image we might've had is, you know, me on the ground bleeding, right? So right. you have a headline of the, of the trauma. And then by using the eye movements from left to right, you're basically reprocessing. So you're bringing it from the right side to the left side, right side. So you're plugging in, plugging in, plugging in, you're helping the brain to understand, make sense. And it goes, do, 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 right? You go from a 10 out of a 10, maybe. And the goal is always to bring it down to a zero or as close to a zero as you can. Now, once the nervous system's been desensitized, then the fun part, I always say to my clients, like the funnest part is you get to install the positive cognition. So this is the other part we kind of were speaking about earlier is that when we have a trauma, there's a negative belief that gets linked to the, to the memory. Okay. So sometimes what, what I shared with my story is like, I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy, or it was my fault, mm -hmm. or I should have done something and I didn't, or I should not have done something. And so those negative um, cognitions are linked to the memory. So once we go in and reprocess that and completely desensitize it, then we want people to pick, well, what do you want to believe to be true? Right. Right. And so if, if we're using me, it's like, well, I, I am good enough. Like I am good enough. I am yes. a worthy human in this world. And then we get to install that. And I always say that we, to my clients, like we're, we always going for a seven for that scale. And I'm always like, okay, but is it as strong as it possibly can be? And they're like, yeah, it's pretty strong. I'm like, well, we're doing one more, you know? And then we go again and they're like, oh yeah, that feels stronger. It feels stronger. And this is how I start to see clients feel that embodied sense of I am worthy or it wasn't my fault because you start to help the brain make connections about the truth of it because the wow. brain just holds a small piece, mm -hmm. right? It doesn't mean it's the whole puzzle. So then you install the positive cognition. And then the last part is we got to scan the body. And so for sometimes people might not have an image for the event, but there's a somatic experience of it, right? With a lot of our first responders, there's sounds or there's smells, right? Our front, our, our nurses in the hospital, there'll be smells or, you know, the sounds of the beeping on the machines, right? It can be right. something that's stored somatically. So you don't always have to have an image. You can pick that, but then we want to clear the body and make sure that the body is completely clear of any kind of 
like held, you know, tension or tightness in the body and then you're done. And then you get to move on to the next thing, you know? So, (laughs) so it literally is like reprogramming your brain. Like when you say, I like when you use the word install, because you do get to, you know, reprogram and install the thoughts, the belief system that you want to believe about yourself that is healthier, that is more functional, you know, that it really is more stable and something that you can create in this. And is this also when people become triggered? Like, is this a connection when you say, oh, were you triggered by that sound or the way he spoke to you or the words he used? Okay. That's right. So part of the part of the intake process usually for clients if they come in and they they share that there's been some kind of event, then I want to know what are the triggers that show up day to day? What are the things that kind of like poke at those buttons, right? And so we can desensitize those. And for lots of people too, there's a fear of feeling certain things. So you know, we call that in our clinical world like, you know, different kinds of phobias as if you were afraid of a snake or spider or something like that. But mm-hmm. lots of times there's fear of feeling feelings. And for lots of men, there's a fear of showing feelings, mm-hmm. you know? So like there, you have to do some reprocessing with some of those things first, sometimes before you can even go into the, into the work, right? Because if our body has built protective systems from us not wanting to feel certain things, then, right. you know, sometimes people will say, oh, I did EMDR and it didn't work for me. And what that tells me is you did an EMDR and there was something in the process in you that showed up as a defense. There was a defense or a blocking mechanism that showed up and was like, this doesn't feel safe for me. And so it just means the readiness, what we weren't quite there. Right. Okay. Yeah. But it's, that's kind of, you know, when people say that, I'm always, I always get curious. I'm always like, Hmm. And I'm curious, you know, so sometimes people come to me like, yeah, I've done that before. And I'm like, Oh, tell me about it. Like, what was it that didn't work? Right. And so it just sometimes means for those clients there, there's a, a different kind of way of entering into it that's required. Right. Yeah. And typically once they do enter into it, is there a, an average number of times that it takes to reprogram or reprocess? Like, is there a, a formula? I would say that when people have seen the process through initially for the first target, and we would say target is like falling off the bike, that after that, my experience is that you can reprocess things faster. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the initial one for me with my clients is it's taking, it takes some time to get to know them and understand how their defenses might show up or how there's different things that might be uncomfortable, or maybe they don't want to show me certain things initially. But once we build that rapport and there's that comfort, then the process tends to happen, you know, pretty, pretty smoothly. I, I would, I would say, and, you know, sometimes people are like, choose to do intensive. So that's something that over probably the last year, I've started to do more is that because people are like, I don't have time to come once a week, Kara, like, can we just mm. book a day? And we'll just like get through some stuff. And, oh, wow. and then I can move on. And that has been amazing, especially for my male clients. Because a lot of my male clients, it takes some time to drop in. Uh. And so lots of them now will say, They'll say, oh yeah, look, it took us an hour to get, and I'm like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then that's when the work can start. So if you're only doing a one hour, right, Right. then you kind of just open the door and then the session's over. And so when I started to go in to build more intensive models, it's been really effective for, you know, 
not and not just not just men, but I, I'm sort of you know kind of generalizing that most of my male clients prefer to book longer sessions to just come in. They know that they're going to come in and be vulnerable. They know that we're going to be doing some work, and then they're like, "Okay, let's go. I'm ready." Wow, that's yeah. that's intense. And yeah. is that just as effective? I mean, I can think that that's probably even more effective because if you're taking an hour to get to the surface, that's and right. then okay, time's up. See you next week. Now you got to kind of go back to where you that's started. Right. That's right. Wow. That's right. And you know, lots of moms too, right? Because you think about all the things that moms have on their plate and all the things that they have to do in a day and a week. And so sometimes it's it's actually better for them to be able to book one day where they can come in and they don't have to worry about like school pickup and dinner and all the things they've kind of like booked in that time for themselves. And so that that tends to be something that, you know, for busy people, that yeah. has has sort of been the go-to. That's where m- most of the people that I work with now have just transitioned to. That sounds amazing. How That yeah. s- sounds really cool. Now, I can see this immediately my head goes to, wow, people who are going through divorce, who are traumatized yeah. by divorce, who are traumatized by betrayal, or maybe they feel blindsided by this divorce, or they're going through one with a narcissist who's become really abusive, man or yeah. woman, you know, and either way, I can see this being really effective for helping them process that trauma so that they can get to a place of emotional stability to deal yeah. with the business and the logistical rational side of divorce because That's right. you know everyone who comes to me is usually in this pretty heightened state of emotion you know a lot most of them i would say who work with me are art also seeing, seeing a therapist so they're doing a lot of talking already so they're coming to me and doing a lot of talking already about how they're feeling and it's so hard for them to separate their their emotions from let's remove that from what we need to do in this process that's actually, you know, logically sound here. Like yeah. looking at from like this emotional mind to like a business mind. Yeah. And it's yeah. so it's so separate. I can see that this type of thing would almost be that perfect bridge, you know, to get in process the emotions and then we can kind of switch gears. I don't want to say compartmentalize because I know that's probably not the best thing, right? But to switch gears to start to look at something from a different perspective. Well, think about again, when our nervous system is dysregulated and when I shared about how the the blood moves back, if we are if we're if we're operating, we're walking through life in a dysregulated state where we're in that fight or flight kind of mode, we can't make rational decisions, right? right. So yeah. part of it is like, how might we help to regulate that nervous system, help bring it into the space? And there's there's a beautiful EMDR protocol called the assist. And it's something that, you know, it, it, I'm going to be running it with groups soon, um, where it's not necessarily reprocessing trauma in that one hour, but what it will do is just stabilize the nervous system. Mm-hmm. So it'll be like joint coming into a yoga class, moving through it, but we're actually going to be tapping. And as you do that, it's like this kind of, you know how you show me this? It's like you come down into your body. And then once we kind of come down there, the tapping also helps us have these insights. You know, I call them like these aha moments. So when we have these aha moments, it's like, it's kind of like, um, 
you know, you, you, you peel back one layer and you're like, oh, I never thought about that. Or I never saw that. Oh my gosh. And then you do it again. You're like, oh my gosh. So that's why on my website, there's a picture of an eagle because the eagle for me really symbolizes having this bigger perspective. You're like, you know, the high, the, the eagle is one of the highest flying birds, like it's the highest you can go. And so he kind of takes this view of seeing everything in this landscape. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I feel like when I watch people go through the process, that's what happens is now all of a sudden you're not in the experience. You're seeing it like this, you know, you're a little bit higher up and then you can see it a little bit bigger, like more broad, more broad, more broad. And so almost bird's eye view. Yeah. And so clients will come and they'll say, you know what, Kara, it was wild. This thing happened this week and I was watching it happen. Mm. I didn't feel anything in it. I totally felt separate from it. It was happening and I was just watching it happen. And I'm like, isn't that cool? (laughs) You know, you're not getting sucked into that thing that you normally would get sucked into because your nervous system's like, hey, we're good. This is good. We feel good in this, you know? You're not being triggered. And I can see like in the divorce situation, I used to have so many clients that you're still working through such high conflict that even the name of their spouse coming up on their phone or in their inbox, oh my God, they used to be me for so long, is still triggering. Like it still sends this wave of fear and anxiety of like, oh my God, what now? Like what? What do you want? And to be able to have that not, to not be triggered by that would be powerful, right? It's freedom. It's freedom, right? It's freedom. Yeah. And I think in the divorce process, you know, I know for me, it was that feeling, how may I I be at peace now? Mm. You know, when people talk about peace, I kind of always thought that was kind of like a weird thing to say. I was like, peace. Yeah. Okay. What is that? Like (laughs) I'd roll my eyes at it. And then it wasn't until I'd been in my own journey of doing this a lot. I mean, obviously this is what I do for a living, but I do it a lot with like myself and it was like, oh, this is what they mean. This is peace. Right. You know, it was like all of a sudden I had this moment. I was like, oh, and then why wouldn't you want other people to feel this? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's such a specific, EMDR is such a specific modality, you know, because I think that so many of us want to talk about things. And I I hear you when you say this talk therapy can tend to re-traumatize you. And also... Yes it can also create a very almost fabricated story sometimes. I mean, I'm not saying that people, what people are saying is not true. It's definitely your truth. But I think it can become more and more going in a different direction or a bit bigger, you know, for you, the more and more you discuss it. Yet sometimes we enter in therapy, it's like, we got to talk about it to release it. But sometimes I do think that the more we speak about things, especially when it comes to the divorce process and, and abuse, the more you are taking yourself back to that experience. That's right. That's right. And, and you know, even in, in you saying that is like the, you, I, I, I got to a point in my practice where it wouldn't matter what I said or wanted the client to believe until they believe that for themselves, change can't happen. Mm -hmm. And so with the EMDR, their brain does the work. I'm the witness of this incredible transformation that happens, but they get to have that aha moment, which then they get to take with them. You know, I don't have to try and convince them of any of that. And also, you know, I know for me, it was like, 
when we are in relationships that, you know, we we see it it kind of panning out a certain way, it's not until we can see our own contributions. Do you know what I mean? Like mm. for me, it was like, what's my part in this actually? What's my response? How was I, you know, how was I in that you know, whatever that dynamic is, whether it was professionally or personally, how was I in that for so long? How did Mm -hmm. I continue to show up there? You know? Mm -hmm. And I think that also is the other time you can't, you can't tell somebody to go, Hey, let's look at your part of how, like, maybe you're in this relationship that's no longer serving you. And there's this part that feels really, you know, maybe you feel like you can't quite take action or there's something blocking you, or there's these belief systems, like I'm going to devastate my family or my, I'm going to screw up my children or like, I'm going to have nothing or whatever the story is, right? There's a story that's operating in the background. Mm -hmm. And so then it can keep us stuck. You know, those are blocks that keep us stuck if I'm take, not taking action. Exactly. And so if we can have a, a way to, you know, go, oh, hold on a second here. This is, this is my part. And actually I can liberate myself now by going, I'm not going to do that anymore. Like, this is where I can make the difference, right? And and that's where this idea of like, you know, when people say, well, we're not in control of how other people feel. Well, man, we got to figure out how to be in control of how we feel in order to not be pulled into any of the other stuff that's happening over here. Do you know what I mean? So this is where that kind of self, you know, like this kind of self, empowerment I think comes Mm. from because we get to be in charge of how we show up now you know and I think that can be really empowering for people I know it was empowering for me oh it uh, hugely is for me as well you know taking that accountability and looking at your at the role that you play you know and and like you had had said too it's about taking the mask off you know and and letting your armor down like I always say put the sword down (laughs) yeah put the sword down you know and let's get let's move forward so when you do EMDR, does it shift into talk therapy? Because I imagine, well, I remember that my therapist telling me, my EMDR therapist, you know, I want to get you to get to this place where you can talk about Mike's death without crying. That's right. And because at the time, like there was no way. And I still am like on the verge, but I can yeah. definitely talk a lot better about it without that overwhelming That's flooding. Right. Because when I say like, you know, don't go to talk therapy or whatever, I'm not saying that, but... I think we do have to talk about things we don't we can't avoid them but what I have seen in my experience is EMDR was allowed allowed me to to learn how I can talk about it from a more grounded center 100%. And that's the goal, right? So I always say to people we're we're not going to erase your memory. You're not going to forget about what happened to you, but you're going to be able to think about that memory and you're going to be able to think about the event and the charge that your body feels when you think about it is going to be different. Mm, yeah. 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 And I'd love for people in the divorce process to be able to feel that way too, because it does take a long time when you're not doing any work to help you process that. And we all, you know, hear these great stories. Well, just, you know, look at all the good times you had and, you know, think about all the amazing experiences in the family that you built and just think differently. (laughs) It's like sometimes we can't just think differently. Like, let's be honest here. Like we can't just take the high road all the time, (laughs) but my body is like telling me totally different story. 
that is, that was the part for me that you can't outthink trauma. You cannot. And all of my years of working with the highest level athletes, I would watch that there would always be something that would be a block. And you could bring in the sports psychologist, you could bring in the best team of people. And yes, you might be able to band-aid it in a moment. You might be able to like get them to repress that, whatever it was, to be able to put that in a box and go to the next thing. But I'm telling you, when you look at, you know, even just today, you're, I'm reading about athletes that like when they leave their NFL or they leave NBA or they leave, there's all this depression. There's all these things that happen because there's all this unprocessed stuff that you just had to push through, push through, push through. And now what do you do with it? Right. You know what I mean? And so I think that is just, that's, you know, part of my, my, my desire, you know, reaching out to you too, is like, how do you, in the divorce process, how do you co-parent with someone that triggers you like there's no tomorrow? And mm -hmm. the research about divorce actually shows that it's not the divorce that's traumatizing. It's the conflict that happens between the two parents. Yeah. So if you are in conflict in your marriage, that's traumatizing for your children. And yeah. if you're in conflict outside of your marriage, that's traumatizing for your children. So if you think less about, you know, if the divorce, in, you know, is going to be the traumatizing factor, it's not, it's the conflict. It's the yeah. avoidance of conflict. It's the high conflict. It's the chaos that comes in it. And if you can do something that's going to help your nervous system be able to show up in a different kind of way with that person that you have to co-parent with, that's the, that's the gift you give your children. You know, that's yes. the gift, not just your children, but yourself, because yes. nobody wants to show up feeling that every time they have to see their ex. You know what I mean? Like that's no way no. to live. No. And you know what? I also think about this. It just came to me as you're saying that because it almost is this sort of power struggle I see too, because when you're in this divorce process and one person left, maybe the other person is having a hard time moving on from that. They can constantly purposefully, intentionally try to re-traumatize that spouse yeah. that left. So it can make them feel, you know, guilty and small yes. and, you know, you're never going to make it without me. I mean, I saw this a lot with my with Mike and his divorce and it was just this constant beating down of you left me. So I am going to literally drill your confidence yes. and your self-esteem into the ground and constantly re-traumatize you emotionally for doing this to me. Yeah. And, you know, at the time, I wish I had known about EMDR earlier. I would have, like, suggested it to him. But <laughs> you see that in that power play. And I see this time and time again with with couples who, you know, one person's on the fence and they're worried about leaving because of the threats that the other partner has made. If you leave me then, yes. I'm going to tell everyone about what you did to me 15 years ago. Or I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to make sure the kids never want to live with you. And it's like this... Intentional fear. trauma and coming from that place of fear. Yeah, yeah, they're not necessarily, I don't think, doing it purposefully, but this place of fear that's then putting this on the other partner. And when you don't know how to process that, you're triggered. You're put in, you're in this place of, I'm stuck. Now I'm yeah. scared because of what the outcome, the aftermath could be. Yeah. And I I think, you know, when when I think about the people that I've sat with. And, and actually this goes for all clients, not just clients who are going through divorce, but it's like when you can be in a space where yes, you can do the reprocessing, but what happens is when we hold space 
for all of the things that come in this process, right? So it's the fear around what he might say or she might say, or it's the fear around what people will think about me, right? Those are the seeds that keep us in those spaces. If we, mm. if we were moving, if we were plucking those seeds out and we were reprocessing them, someone could say, I'm going to tell the whole world. And you'd be like, great have fun. Let me know when you post that, you know, high five because your nervous system would just be like, okay, this is your stuff. It's not mine. You know, there's this separation that can happen, you know, and, and that's one of my, my favorite sort of, you know, phrases that I say to clients is eventually people get to the place where it's like, Hey, you know what? That's not mine. I'm not going to carry that anymore. No, thanks. Yes. Oh my gosh. And how powerful is it when you get there? Oh, it's incredible. It's incredible. (laughs) It really, really is. It is. Um, This conversation is just so amazing. And I think that there's so much more that we could go into that we didn't even touch on. So I just love, I love your knowledge. I love your expertise. I love the passion that Mm. you bring to this because I think that it's hard for people to reach out and get the help that they need and figure out what do I need to do? There's so many different modalities of help out there. And therapy is the first place we think of going is initially to talk therapy, but there could be something more like this, like EMDR that could actually help you prior to getting down that path. And I mean, I speak from experience how much it changed me in a relatively short time too, I have to say. So I'm I'm super yeah. impressed by what you're doing. And I'm oh, I, you know, I give you so much encouragement for all your success. And I just love that, you know, you also as a as a single divorced mom, just taking the world by by the horns and going out there and helping others and truly making an impact, you know, you should definitely be proud of that. Thank you. So, so appreciative. Yes. So thank you for being here. And before we finish, I just want you to let everyone know where they can find you. At www.karakaylin.com. Amazing. And do you work with people all around the world? Is that, can you, is that your? Yeah. So I can, I can, I can go anywhere. Amazing. Because we are broadcast all over the world. And so Kara is your girl. I've put her website in the show notes for you to click onto it and see what she's all about. And if you have gone through any trauma in your life, and I'm sure you have at some point and something, then checking out EMDR is definitely worth your while. So thank you, Kara. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Divorce Redefined, changing the experience of divorce. We hope Cindy and her guests were able to put your mind at ease and help you make the right decision for your marriage. We wish you a beautiful week.